Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All righty, how are you doing today? Honestly, we always ask that, right? How are you doing? You're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. How are you? Don't lie, we're in church. How are you really doing? If you had one word, one word, and if the person isn't telling the truth, the person next to them needs to tell the truth. If you had to pick one word to explain your emotional state today, right now, just give me the word, what would it be? One at a time. Come on, man, it's like one at a time. How about somebody over here? Give me some. What's that? Blessed, okay, we're glad to have you bring friends. We need more people like that. Okay, what, what would you get over here, anybody? Stressed, stressed and blessed. You guys will gather for prayer afterward. These people will anoint you, you need help. Okay, stressed and blessed. Okay, who else? How about in the middle? Anybody feeling it? What are, what are you thinking? Peaceful, tired, excited, bored already? Really? Was it really bored? Oh, war. You said war? I thought bored. I was like, well, we'll close in prayer and go home. I I felt it was off to a better start than that. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I'm feeling. Sad because I'm boring. Okay. Um, And apparently I'm stressful. Okay. So here's what I want to talk about today. We're going to talk about our emotional life. We're going to talk about Jesus' emotional life. I'm going to cover a lot of ground today, and it's all in chapter 6. You can grab a free copy on the way out, Spirit-Filled Jesus. It's everywhere. We're going to cover so much, there's no way you can take notes on all of this, but it's really interesting. I've been a senior pastor for more than 20 years. I've never heard a sermon, maybe there is one, on Jesus' emotional life. Have you? We tend to think of emotions as something we have, not something that Jesus have. Jesus was living your life, experiencing what you're experiencing. What would he be feeling? And the big idea is that uh, things happen to us and our experiences ignite our emotions. So things happen out here and we feel things in here. So it's like two single people come together and they fall in love and, and he gets down on one knee and he's like, will you marry me? And she says, Yes, and she feels excited. And then 10 years later, he leaves the lid up and the light off and she falls in in the middle of the night and she's not feeling the same that she did when she said yes, right? Things out here affect how we feel in here. Let's look for a moment, or actually for an hour, at Jesus' emotional life. Did Jesus have financial problems? Yeah, he was, God was broke, right? God was broke. Some of you are like, I worship a broke God. That's, yeah, you do. Jesus comes to the earth. He's homeless. He's got a guy named Judas who's stealing from his ministry the whole time. And then in addition, he has to pay taxes. God comes to earth. We tax him. I'm so, I'm shocked they didn't run the property taxes on heaven and just hit him real hard. It comes to the point where Jesus is so broke and he has to pay his taxes. He tells, I think it's Peter, go fishing. And if, if you catch a fish, look in the mouth. And if there are coins, use the coins to pay my taxes. You know you're broke when your plan is, I'm going to go fishing and I hope I get a fish with a credit card. Amen. You're broke. Jesus is broke. Did Jesus have spiritual problems? Oh, yeah. He's harassed by Satan and demons. He's tempted. He is constantly under attack. Did Jesus have PR problems? Did anybody say anything negative about him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They said he was a demon-possessed alcoholic. And just so you know, if you're trying to launch a ministry, that's a real 
barrier, amen? That's a real barrier, right? Uh, and, 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 and in addition, they went after Jesus' mom. They said that he had a mother who had been with so many men that they didn't even know who his father was. How many of you, you're okay till they start talking about your mom, right? And then all of a sudden your Irish comes out, your Italian comes out, your Spanish comes out. Why, why are all these people angry? But whatever it is, it comes out and all of a sudden you're not doing emotionally well. Did Jesus have legal problems? Yes. They falsely accused him, accused him. I don't know if you know this. God came to earth. We arrested him. Can you imagine that photo on Instagram? Jesus in an orange jumpsuit, cuffs on back of a cop car. Unbelievable. He had serious legal problems and didn't have legal defense. Did Jesus have relational problems? Oh, yeah. Peter um, disowns and denies him. Thomas, his friend, doubts him, Judas betrays him. His family at one point thinks he has lost his mind. So they show up to take him home, put him in a coat with no sleeves and just try and, you know, put him off to the side, make sure he doesn't cause any more trouble. He had lots of relational problems. Did he have emotional problems? Did Jesus ever get stressed? Yeah. It says he was in such anguish that it's like he's sweating drops of blood. He had emotionally difficult days. He had sleepless nights. He had stress. He had anxiety. He, he was a man of sorrows and he had no wife and kids. He had no wife to talk to or go for a walk with or pray with. He had no kids to give him some good, healthy distraction. And did Jesus have physical problems? He did. He got sick. He got tired. He took a nap. Ultimately, he was crucified. He was murdered. He was beaten. He struggled in every single way. Not only that, people just harassed him. How many of you are in caring professions and you're just harassed all the time? How many of you are a mother? You're telling your kids like, go knock on the neighbor's door. I don't have anything to give. See if they will help you. I am done for today. Okay, Jesus had crowds that followed him around because when you're feeding people, they show up. When you're healing people, they show up. The Bible says that he would cast a demon out of somebody and then they would go into town and they would what? Tell everybody, Jesus casts out demons. Well, next thing you know, every day is Halloween, right? Trick or treat, you open the door. It's not a kid pretending to be a demon. It's a guy with no pants on who really has a demon problem, right? This is Jesus' whole life. It's frustrating, right? Jesus has a lot going on. Here's my thesis. Is it possible that Jesus had lots of reasons that he could have been emotionally unhealthy? Yeah. If Jesus was emotionally unhealthy, you could have came to him and said, tell me why. And as soon as he started talking, he'd be like, oh, I get it. I get it. You, you have lots of reasons. But here's the point. Jesus was, while on the earth and is to this day, perfectly emotionally healthy. How can you have so much going on out here, but something so different going on in here? How about you? What's going on out here? What's going on in your life? What experiences are you enduring? What emotions is it igniting, right? Is out here determining what's in here? Or does God determine what's in here and it affects how you react to what's out there? Well, here's the big idea, the big concept, and that is that people become like their view of God. Okay, so as we experience life, how we feel about what we experience is in large part guided by our view of God. So let me give you two, two examples. One, uh, there's in a lot of Eastern religions, something called karma. And karma is that there is this sort of ledger that is kept. And if you do something bad, you need to pay it back. There's no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. You got to pay it back. 
So if you are someone that has a debt, you reincarnate and you suffer to pay off your debt. Well, that view of God is not a God that's loving or gracious or compassionate or merciful or, or forgiving in any way. And I've been to certain countries that hold to karma and reincarnation and people are suffering and no one is helping because their view of God is you need to pay the divine being, whatever that being might be, back. So I can't help you because that would be ruining your karma. Your view of God determines how you live your life, how you experience your life, how you treat others. In addition, sometimes even well-meaning Christians have a misperception of God. This will probably get me in trouble, but it's okay. I get in trouble a lot. Um, there, is a, there is a line in two church creeds. One comes from something called the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you grew up what is called Reformed or Presbyterian, you're probably familiar with that. And there is another one uh, from the Church of England. If you grew up Anglican or Episcopalian, you're probably more familiar with that. And it says that God is, quote, without passions. Passions. What that means is their, 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 their assumption is that the God of the Bible doesn't have emotions. Does it, how many of you have been to a church and you're like, oh, now it all makes sense. These are passionless people. They're passionless. They have no passion, right? Because their view of God is that God is passionless. Therefore, to be godly is to be passionless. Now, do a little bit of deep dive into the deep end of the pool with you for a minute. Um, the New Testament of Christianity is written in the language and the culture of the Greeks, and our Western world is largely informed by Greek thinking. There is a, a scholar named William Barclay, I'll quote him, he says, to the Greek, the primary characteristic of God was called apatheia or apathy. Any of you ever heard of apathy? Yeah, do you have a teenager? You've seen it up front, right? Nice and close. Apathy, total indifference, just no response whatsoever. And this is the killer to a relationship, by the way. If, you're, if you love me or hate me, at least you have emotion toward me, we can work on it. If you have nothing, we have a very difficult situation. To the Greek, the primary characteristic of God was what was called apatheia or apathy, which means total inability to feel any emotion whatsoever. If we can feel sorrow or joy, gladness or grief, it means that someone can have an effect upon us. Now, if a person has an effect upon us, it means that for the moment that person has power over us. No one can have any power over God, and this must mean that God is essentially incapable of feeling any emotion whatsoever. The Greeks believed in an isolated, passionless and hear this, compassionless God. If you have no passion, you also have no compassion. Now, what they were seeking to protect and preserve was something called God's immutability. That means that God does not change. Do you know why? God is perfect. God isn't in process of evolving and improving. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe. But they, they, they came to the conclusion that, that if someone can affect your emotional life, then they are changing you. Therefore, God doesn't have an emotional life. Now, when we test this by the word of God, we see something very different in the Bible. I think it's in Genesis 6, early on, where God made humanity and we sinned and rebelled against God. And it says that God was grieved in his heart that he made man. How many of you have a kid 
don't raise your hand, especially if your kid's here with you, but your kid is just a naughty kid. And when they do certain things, especially things that are self-destructive, it breaks your heart. You go, man, I love you. I, I don't want that for you. You're self-harming. God has a father's heart, and when people foolishly sin and rebel and harm themselves, it hurts his heart. See, to make God non-emotional is also to make God non-relational because relationships have emotions. You do something and I'm excited. You do something else and I'm disappointed. And what happens is some people have this view of God that God is non-emotional and that God is non-relational, okay? Now, let me show you this. God is not like this, okay? Amen? God is not, who's that? It's Mr. Spock, right? Some of, you, some of you came from this church where the goal was always logical, 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 as if sin affects your mind, but not your emotions. Sin affects all of you, so you need to test both your thoughts and your feelings by the word of God. But this is not what a mature person looks like, and this is not what Jesus was like. How many of you, when you think of Jesus, you almost think of him like Mr. Spock. He's just walking around, answering questions, playing Bible Jeopardy, and always winning. He's just very non-emotional, non-relational, okay? Now, what we're going to do today, we're going to look at Jesus' emotional life, and you're going to learn that Jesus is emotional. Now, let me say this before we jump in. Very little is written outside of the Bible on the emotional life of Jesus. I'm your nerd friend. I only found two books on Jesus' emotional life written in the last hundred years. Um, One was short, one was long. More books have been written about Jesus than anyone who's lived in the history of the world. I am submitting to you that perhaps we have overlooked his emotional life. Number two, um, 60 different times in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus' emotions are mentioned. We're gonna get to this in a moment. We're gonna look at every single one, okay? So I hope you packed a snack, especially if you have low blood sugar. This is gonna be a while. I get paid by the minute and I take my time. Okay, the next thing I wanna tell you, number one, did Jesus have a sense of humor? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Most people, many people don't recognize this. Okay, when, and there are parts of the Bible that don't make any sense unless you assume that Jesus had a sense of humor. So if you don't think Jesus was emotional, you think, well, when we come to church, we should not be emotional. And if you think Jesus had no sense of humor, then when we're in church, we certainly should not laugh. Jesus had a sense of humor. Kids liked him, right? He had a personality. He had, crowds flocked to him. He had a personality, And there are parts of the Bible that make no sense unless Jesus had a sense of humor. I'll give you just a few examples. There's a book called uh, The Humor of Christ written by Elton Trueblood. He mentions 30 different places in the New Testament where Jesus said something funny. Uh, Some will say that he was known for what is called preposterous exaggeration. You know what a good stand-up comic does? They will exaggerate something to where it's preposterous and then it's funny. Jesus had a sense of humor. I'll give you two examples. Jesus was a construction worker, carpenter. How many of you are blue-collar guys, right? You got a tool belt, you drive a truck. That was my dad, Joe. On the job site, it would have been funny when Jesus was giving this analogy that there are certain guys that have like a two by four sticking out of their head. It like came flying off the table saw and sticking out of their head. And he turns around to look at another guy and say, you sir have a problem. You have a speck of sawdust in the corner of your eye. 
on the job site, the guys would have been like, well, actually, since we're talking about stuff, I feel like you have the bigger issue and the two by four is something that we all see and you tend to overlook. On the job site, that would have been funny, right? Because religious people have massive issues and they're worried about minor issues in the lives of others. Here's another one. Jesus says that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. And the theologians get together. They have no sense of humor, so they, 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 they overlook this possibility. They're like, oh, what, what could this? They stroke their beards. So what, what could this be? What could this, and I would, but my beard comes in white. I look like the son of Santa. It's tragedy. I, some of you have a distinguished gray beard. I went right to grandpa, white beard. So I don't have one, but pretend I have a beard. So all the religious guys get together and the scholars that are like, what does it mean, camel through the eye of a needle? So then they come up with something. They say, well, there was a wall around Jerusalem and there was a, a big gate you could go through and then there was a little hole. And, uh, and some people would try and get their camel to scrouch down and shimmy through the hole. And they call that place the eye of the needle. That's dumb. That doesn't make any sense to me, right? That's like in my house, I got a door and I got a dog door. Why would I go through the dog door? I wouldn't. I'm a grown man. I paid my mortgage. I'm going in through the regular door. Now, what Jesus was using was preposterous exaggeration. How many of you ladies have, have taken thread and put it through the eye of a needle, right? How many of you couldn't do that with a camel, okay? You're like, well, push, Timmy, push from the rear, and I'll pull from the front. We're not making any progress. I'm giving her all I got, Captain, right? Now, the point is, it doesn't work. It's preposterous exaggeration. What Jesus is saying is, if you love money more than God, if you're greedy and not generous, if your heart is devoted to what you have rather than what Jesus gave, you have an eternal problem. That's the big idea. So Jesus had a sense of humor and he uses preposterous exaggeration. Number two, Jesus appeals to our emotions in his teaching, okay? When he tells parables, these little stories with big ideas, he appeals to our emotions. So there's the story of the prodigal son. He cashes in you know, all of his inheritance. He empties the family bank account. He goes to Vegas. He just ends up face down in the gutter, just ruins and wrecks his life. Then he comes home and the father sees him and what? Runs to embrace, love, forgive, and bless his son. And that's a picture of all of us. That's very heartfelt. It's very emotional. Jesus' teaching appeals to our emotions. Number three, Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts. You know what that is? That's emotional. That's emotional. And you can't be relational unless you are emotional. All of the emotions in the four gospels, they move quickly toward Jesus' crucifixion and the intensity of Jesus' emotional life increases as his death approaches. One more thing, of the 60 occasions, and we're gonna look at them in a moment. Okay, I'm excited, okay, I hope you're excited. We're gonna look at it, but the number one emotion of Jesus mentioned is compassion. This is hugely important because if you don't have passion, you can't have compassion. Jesus has compassion. This is really good to know. You're struggling, Jesus has compassion. You're tempted, Jesus has compassion. You are anxious, Jesus has compassion. 
See, this is the good news. Jesus is a God who empathizes. And this is how you know someone is emotionally healthy. They have compassion, empathy, concern, regard for others. They're not totally self-consumed, okay? This is why if you wanna raise an emotionally healthy child, one of the first things you need to awaken them to is the awareness that there are other people on the earth that are going through things. And it's not always and only about them. And they need to consider the needs and the feelings of others so that they can have compassion. Jesus is emotionally healthy. Despite everything he is going through, he has compassion. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospel narratives that tell us about the life of Jesus. We'll look at all of his emotions. So here it is in Matthew. And again, you can't write all this down. It's in the book. He marveled at the New Testament is originally written primarily in Greek and some translations trying to get the complexity of Jesus' emotional life, they'll use a few different words. So I include those so we get the full hue. He marveled, or, or he was amazed. How many of you recently had something in your life? You're like, that was amazing. I, 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 I couldn't believe, I had to just stop and think about that. That was amazing. That was amazing. I had somebody tell me recently, they're like, I was sick, I prayed, I got healed. I'm like, that's amazing. For real, you got healed? They're like, for real, healed. That's amazing. Sternly warned. How many of you have given a stern warning to someone recently or received a stern warning from the Lord or someone else? Again, multiple times, says he has compassion. You need to know that whatever you're going through today, Jesus has compassion for you. Uh, It says that he had pity. He had pity. Or that he felt compassion or he felt sorry for them, right? How many of you, you, you see people going through things, it's like, ah, oh, I'm heartbroken for them. I, I'm, I'm interceding for them. I'm a burden for them. What they're going through is so complicated, so difficult, so painful. There's compassion. Uh, it says he was sorrowful and troubled. How many of you, you would say, and I would ask you as you read this, what would be your emotional state today? Pick one or two that you say, that, that's what I'm feeling today. Sorrowful and troubled. Sorrowful and troubled. That things are, things are uncertain. Things are complicated. Things are difficult. As a result, there's some grief and there's also some anxiety. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Sometimes Christians would be like, look on the bright side. There isn't one, okay? That's okay, just to be, because we need to deal with reality. And sometimes people are like, you're a Christian, you need to keep a positive attitude. I'm positive that you're wrong, okay? I'm positive. I'm positive that you're wrong. Because Isaiah tells us from Isaiah 40 through chapter 66, this great section in the Old Testament, it refers repeatedly to Jesus as a man of sorrows who was familiar with grief. Sometimes you need to feel to heal. Sometimes you need to grieve so that you can be relieved. It's it's part of the emotional health and spectrum. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is he emotional? Yes. He's crying out with deep passion as he is on the cross, suffering and dying in your place, in my place, for your sins, for my sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, 
Jesus substitutes himself for sinners. The wrath of God is poured out on the Son of God. And the theologians tell us that the Father turned his back on the Son, that their eternal union and communion was broken. As 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As Jesus took your place and put you in his place, he had great, deep, profound emotion. Okay? And some of you didn't know this. Some of you think that everything is just mental. Nothing is emotional. Again, because Jesus is emotional, he's also relational. And because Jesus has passion, he can have compassion. And it's interesting that when we even talk about the death of Jesus, we talk about the passion of Christ. Because Christ is passionate. Uh, That's Matthew's gospel. We'll look at Mark's gospel. Obviously, the most handsome of all the four gospel names, uh, starting in chapter 1, says that he had pity or compassion or that he was indignant. He saw people suffering and it troubled and it bothered him. How about this one? He, was, he had anger and he was grieved. Some people say, you shouldn't get angry. Jesus did. Now, if your emotional spectrum is angry and asleep, you're not healthy. Amen? If you're always angry, if you're like a grenade with a pin pulled, you're not healthy. Jesus is not always angry, but he is occasionally angry. When you look at suffering, when you look at evil, when you look at injustice, it is something that should trouble and bother you, okay? He was angered and he was grieved, anger and sorrow, anger and deeply distressed, angrily deeply saddened. What do you do with someone who is in that emotional state and condition? Don't just come up and say, it'll all be better. Don't just say, God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, if you're not also willing to be emotionally present with them until the season turns. Not only do we need to give people hope for the future, we need to give them presence and comfort in the moment. Okay? This is how Jesus works. He knows the future, but he's emotionally present in the moment. We need to do both. There are times that people are going to be sorrowful. There are times that people are going to grieve. There are times that people are going to be angry, and it's an issue of how do we bring those emotions, and this is where the sermon will be going, ultimately back to the Lord. It says that he marveled, he was amazed, or he wondered. How many of you have had something that just was shocking? It was mesmerizing. I got to think about this. I got to pray about this. I got to investigate this. I got I to check this out. This is un- unbelievable. This is really incredible. He had compassion. Next slide, please. He sighed. He sighed deeply. Deep sigh. How many of you have been there or you are there? you don't even know what to say. There aren't words to express the emotion. It's just a deep sigh from the soul. It's cancer? You want a divorce? There are times that the soul can't even speak. It can only sigh. Being emotionally present. He sighed deeply in his spirit. He loved. 
he loved. And it says that he, he felt a love or with love or with genuine love. You know what? God ultimately wants us to experience his love is a gift to receive and a gift to share with others. Right? The, the mark of an emotionally healthy person would have to include love. They know that God loves them and they share that gift of God's love with others. Um, it says that he was greatly distressed and troubled. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. How many of you have been there? You're like, I am so devastated. I don't even know how I can continue moving forward in life. I feel like I got shot in the soul. I'm feeling this to a depth that I didn't even know was possible, right? Jesus cried with a loud voice. Again, his emotional life, it escalates and culminates as he heads to the cross to die in our place for our sins. Jesus cried with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is passionate about his relationship with the Father and he's passionate for you and salvation for you. He's very passionate for you. Um, Luke says that he marveled or was amazed. In his humanity, Jesus is fully God, fully man. He set aside the continual use of his divine attributes so that he might experience life as we do. I dealt with this in the first sermon. So as Jesus is living his life, it is like you and I do. And he's experiencing things and he's reacting and responding to them. He marveled. He was amazed. I felt this yesterday. Um, got two kids in college, two kids in high school. Yesterday was homecoming, right? See your daughter in a dress. Just marvel. Like, oh my gosh, I used to give her a piggyback ride, and, and now I got to teach her to drive. Like, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. There are moments in life that we just need to stop and take it in. It's a sacred moment, and the soul is just stunned. He had compassion. His heart went out to her. That's emotional, right? How many of you, you're high-compassion people. You know you're high-compassion because hurting people find you, Right? You're like, I'm not sure I'm compassionate. Do hurting people find you? Oh, yeah, by the thousands. You're a compassionate person. Because those of us who are not compassionate, we don't have that kind of parade. Amen? You're like, I'm angry. Hurting people tend not to find me. I mean, they're hurt when I'm done with them, but not when we start. You know, so his heart went out to her. His heart uh, overflowed. Typo, I went to public school and apologized, we'll fix it. His heart overflowed with compassion. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, recently a monsoon hit and this happened to my pool, it overflowed. Jesus has so much love, it overflows. He has so much compassion that it overflows. How about this one? This is one of my favorites in the whole of the 60 occasions of Jesus' emotions. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He was full of joy through the Holy Spirit or he was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The, the original language is very exuberant. 
right? Have, have you been to a sporting event where, where something amazing is happening, right? Yay! Right, guy breaks free on a 99-yard kickoff return, and as they get closer to the end zone, all the guys jump out of their seat. Hot dogs are flying, beers are flying, popcorn is flying. There goes like $1,000 right there for those three items, right? And guys are like, yes, yes, yes! Jesus has that level of emotion in that moment. He's rejoicing. He's excited. He is, he is overwhelmed. He is, he is passionate. I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of this. I think the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. It's not in my notes, but there's an occasion in the book of Acts where there's a man named Stephen, and he is being martyred and murdered as an early Christian. And it says that Stephen looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing. Because in that moment, Stephen was dying for Christ and he was forgiving his enemies and Jesus was jumping up and down in heaven like a guy with season tickets who sees his team heading to the Super Bowl or the World Series or whatever the case might be. You need to know that not only was Jesus passionate and emotional and joyful and rejoicing and wholehearted on the earth, he is today. He is today. I'm reminded of another scripture, not in my notes, but it says that when a sinner repents, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Some would say when a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. That's not what it says. What it says is when a sinner repents, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Well, who's in the presence of the angels? God. When sinners repent, Jesus rejoices. When sinners forgive, Jesus rejoices. You and I, many of you are sports fans, and you've got a team or a sport or a thing that gets you really excited. Forgiveness and repentance, that gets Jesus really excited. He's, come on, forgive them. Come on, love them. Come on, repent. Come on, get unstuck. You can do it. Go, go, go. That's Jesus, amen? There's passion. There's passion. Next slide, please. Great is my distress. What constraint am I under? I am under a heavy burden. How many of you felt that? Like, man, it is... It is heavy. It is a burden. It is a weight that I am carrying with which I am struggling. Full emotional spectrum. Do you see the full emotional spectrum with Jesus? He wept. He wept. Some guys will say, I don't cry. Well, then you're not like Jesus. Well, I'm a man. Well, there's the perfect man. Sometimes you need to feel so you can heal. You need to be grieved so you can be relieved. Sometimes the soul needs to have a funeral, right? Sometimes the soul needs to have a funeral. When someone dies, we call it, it's dead, time of death. Then we, we have a funeral. And then we have an autopsy, why did they die? There are things in your life that you need to call it and say, you know what, it's dead. That relationship, that season, that's dead. Then you need to have the heart funeral. You need to grieve. You need to mourn. You need to process. Then you need to have the autopsy. Well, why did it happen? Are there some things I can learn so that it doesn't happen again? That's life. 
Some people never have the heart funeral, and as a result, they never heal. I think, here's my experience. Burdened people that don't heal become broken people. And you can meet someone, and you can just tell they're broken. They're broken because they haven't healed from their burden. Right? Some people are evil, but some people are evil because they're just broken. They, they need to have the heart funeral. They need to heal up. They need to, they need to get to a place of emotional health. In agony or in anguish or in such agony of spirit, right, this deep, profound, emotional life and presence. How about uh, John's gospel? Zeal or passion, right? Zeal or passion. Our world has lots of zeal for the wrong things and lots of passion for unhealthy things. God's people are to have zeal and passion for God and the things of God, okay? So I'll just let you in on a little spoiler alert. In a little bit, we'll bring the band back up, okay? And worship is one of the ways that we demonstrate zeal and passion. You can't just say, most people are very emotional. Right, because Jesus died, Jesus rose. This is as close to hell as we'll ever be. Our sins are forgiven. We're adopted into the family of God and forever we'll be healthy and healed with all the people that love Jesus. So you know what? We're excited about that, amen? We're excited about that. That's good news. It says that he loved and he loved. And I love this little statement. Jesus says, I'm glad. I just love that. That's good sometimes, right? Just to let people know, I'm glad. What are you glad for today? Who are you glad for today? What has God already done in your life? What is God doing in your life? You're like, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad. Grace and I are in this weird season where our kids have driver's licenses, which means we don't see them and they don't return our texts. Has anyone experienced this? So when the kids are little, it's zone defense, right? And you're exhausted, right? Because you're outnumbered and surrounded. It's physically exhausting. And like I always say, small boys are all suicidal. They're all trying to kill themselves. That's what little boys do. So you're on suicide watch 24 hours a day, seven days a week with children, especially when they're little. They get older, they get a driver's license, and they drive away. So Grace and I are in this season where we're together a lot more without all of the children. And you know what? No, I do love my children. I do love my children. But I am glad. I am glad. I am glad that we're friends and like to be together. Because once the kids go, if we're not friends, we're not glad to be together. Okay? What are you glad for? It says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. How many of you don't like emotional people? You're like, they're, they're emotional. They're very weird, very emotional. I will pray for you. Text me when it's over, right? Very emotional. Jesus sometimes was very emotional. It's okay to be very emotional. Don't make, don't make me emotional. Okay, here we go. 
He was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Romans 8 says that sometimes when we don't even know how to emotionally process that the Holy Spirit gives us groanings and utterings too deep for words. That's your prayer life. A deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Is it a sin to be angry? It says in Ephesians, uh, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say that anger is a sin. It says that anger is a powerful driving emotion. And you better, you better direct it before it causes destruction. But it is not necessarily a sin to be angry. Right? Somebody harms, abuses a child. You go, I'm angry about that. You should be. It's evil. It's evil. How about this one? Next slide, please. Deeply moved again, angry in himself again, deeply moved within or again groaning in himself. Now is my soul troubled? How many of you would say, yeah, I'm more intuitive. I feel things. Before, and so before my mind processes them, my heart feels them. And I, there's certain times, you're like, I'm just troubled. This bothers me. I, I got to get some time with the Lord. I got to work this out. I'm troubled. I'm troubled. He loved. Troubled in his spirit. Deeply troubled. He says, I have loved you and I will love you. And he says, I loved you, my joy. I have loved you. Wow. Do you see the full, rich, passionate, emotional life of Jesus Christ? Yes. Amen. It's there, right? You can't say Jesus was not emotional. Being emotional is not healthy. Jesus is the picture of perfect emotional health, and he was very emotional and very passionate. So let me say this. Your picture of Jesus is really important for your emotional health. And what I want to say is that some people see Jesus as lion, others see him as lamb. Okay? So um, the Bible speaks of Jesus as both lion and lamb, and we learn how the Holy Spirit brings emotional health, okay? Let me talk about the Holy Spirit and the emotional life of Jesus. Well, we just read it like in Luke 10, 21. It says that he rejoiced in the Spirit. So there are occasions in the Bible where Jesus' emotions are inextricably connected to the power and the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, furthermore, when it says that he is filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that, what that means is that when things happen out here, it is the Holy Spirit who is regulating what happens in here. Okay? Otherwise, people's emotional life is regulated by what happens out there. Let me just tell you this. If your emotional life is regulated by what happens out there, you're in trouble. This is why we live in such an unhealthy culture right now. Something happens, everybody responds to it rather than to him. If you respond to it rather than to him, you will have a very unhealthy emotional life and a constant excuse to be emotionally unhealthy. Why I'm angry because they said this and I'm hurt because they did that and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I'm that and I feel this and I feel this. Why? Because here's all the things that are happening. It's like, well, what's happening in here? The Holy Spirit lives in the child of God. We are to be filled as Jesus was filled with the Spirit and our emotional life is to be regulated by the presence of God, not the presence of trouble, okay? 
This is a secret that no one knows. This is a secret that no Christian has the possible, no non-Christian rather, has the possibility of experiencing. Some of you have been through trauma. Some of you have been through abuse. Some of you have been through abandonment. Some of you have been through grief. Some of you are under tremendous stress, anxiety, and burden. I'm not diminishing any of that. But the Holy Spirit wants your emotional life to be guarded by him filling you, not that which surrounds you. Okay? Okay? Because here's what I do know. I can't fix all of this, but he can fix all of this. Okay? It's where greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus says, in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, and in me you will have peace. And he says, I'll send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will help you to have a peaceful heart in a troubled world. These are the words of Jesus. Okay? So as we look at the life of Jesus, we either tend to see him as always lion or always lamb. That's going to be my, my major working thesis. Revelation 5.5, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. How many of you are more lions? You're fierce, you're killers, right? You're CEOs, you're alphas, right? What does the lion say? We ask this to little kids. I'll ask you to big kids, right? What's the lion say? Roar! Roar! They're the king of the jungle. You know what a lion eats? Whatever it wants. Alligator, hippopotamus. The planet is a Costco for a lion. They'll eat anything. Lions are fierce. They are tough. They, 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 they protect their own. If you're part of their pride or pack, you are protected. And if you come against their pride or pack, they are going to destroy you. Sometimes Jesus is, he's a lion. Hey, think of it. In the Bible, can you think of any occasions where Jesus is like a lion? Right? Religious leaders come. He's lying. He's arguing, fighting, debating, holding his ground because they're hurting people. He's going to protect them. Satan and demons come. Jesus goes to war. Jesus is also lamb. John 1.29 looks at John, his cousin, looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the lamb of God. Or I'll ask you what I ask my kids. What's, what's the lamb he say? Notice how we say there. We say, "What's a lion?" He say. We just don't say it like that, right? What's a lamb? He say. Ah, uh, very peaceful, right? Your kid can't sleep. You don't say, "Count lions, count, count lions until you run away from home." No, what you tell them is, "Count sheep until you," because there's no. Oh, they're they're basically a cotton ball. That's what they are. <laughs> Nobody's scared of a lamby. They're vegetarians. They only eat plants. They're, they're homeless. They just wander around. They're, they're, they're pacifists. They, they never, they're hippies. They're hippies. They're pacifistic, vegetarian, homeless. They're hippies. Right? Can you think of any occasions in the Bible where Jesus comes off like a lamb? Anybody? Just me? I hate to wake you up, ruin your nap, apologize. Right? There's a, there's a little girl, Jairus' daughter, goes to her bedside and makes her well. There's a lamb. There's a lamb. 
There's a Samaritan woman. She's been through five husbands living with some guy. Jesus shows up. He's a lamb. You know what? You need to stop sinning and not worry about relationships with all these men. You need to worry about relationship with God. Let's get you healed up. Right? He's very tender and kind toward her. Sometimes Jesus is lion. Sometimes Jesus is lamb. This is, this is, this is my explanation, as simply as I can make it, for a healthy emotional life. What happens if you're always a lion? What happens? You protect people and you hurt them. What happens if you're only a lamb? You love people, but you also let other people hurt them. I don't do conflict. I don't do controversy. I don't like to get in arguments or fights. I don't like anybody to not like me. I don't, I don't, I just feel, I just feel nervous. Lion's like, I got it. I got it. How many of you, you're married, lion and lamb? We'll close in prayer, collect the offering, and send you home to talk about that. How many of you are married, lion and lamb? You're like, come on, step up, get involved. They're like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Being emotionally healthy like Jesus is knowing when to be a lion, when to be a, a lamb. With my two daughters, they know me as lamb. Somebody comes to harm my daughter, lion. Emotional health is not saying, well, this is, this is how I am. It's saying this is how Jesus is. And the same spirit that regulated his emotional life regulates my emotional life so that I can have the emotional life and character of Christ. The key is not that you be true to you, but that you become like him. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is the big concept, but hide and spirit filled Jesus. And we read this in Galatians. Most Christians, many Christians know this. The Holy Spirit brings emotional health. Here's the big idea. Your emotions, they come from one of two places, what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit or your flesh, okay? The fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in and through the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to be in and through your life, how do you know that your emotional life is coming out of your relationship, your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Okay. How do you know that? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. Some of you say, I need to learn how to love better. Okay, what you should say is, I need to get to know the Holy Spirit better. Because if you, it's cause effect, tree fruit. If you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, he brings the love of God for you to share with others. And if you're not loving, then your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is not healthy. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. If you haven't laughed in a while, if nothing is fun, if every day is puddle glum, or it'll never work, right? It's always just bad. Some of you are like, I'm a pessimist. Be a Christian, right? Have a little joy. Have a little joy. Peace. How many of you would say, emotionally, I am, I'm always restless and anxious. I'm not a peaceful person. Patience. Amen? How many of you, that's convicting. You're like, what does it mean in Greek? Certainly it doesn't mean patience. 
<laughs> like, patience is hard, amen? My problem is I learn it slowly. Um, kindness. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, what? Self-control, not out of control. There's, I've used this analogy before. There's this old missionary, her name was Amy Carmichael, and she basically says, whatever's in comes out when you bump it. If the Holy Spirit is in you, oh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If your emotional life comes out of the flesh, here's what comes out. Um, He says, uh, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's a military term. How many of you are in the military, right? In the military, you go out for a march. And what you can't say is, I don't do lines. I just don't follow well. I'm not a follower. I'm a free spirit. I just, I'm a free spirit. I'm a wanderer. I don't do, ooh, you're yelling. That's not healthy, right? It doesn't, it, <laughs> if you're in the military, you need to march in line, follow the leader. Emotionally, who's the leader? The Holy Spirit. It says to walk in the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit will be the one who is leading and guiding your emotional life. Whatever's in you comes out of you when the circumstances bump you. Do you get that? I I love you. This is where I go from preaching to meddling. The flesh will come out, right? Um, Not love, but hate. Not joy, but consternation. Not peace, but anxiety. Not patience, but impatience. Not kindness, but rudeness. Not goodness, but evil. Not faithfulness, but I'm done. Not gentleness, but harshness. And not self-control, but being out of control. When those things come out of you, if it is pointed out to you, I've been a senior pastor more than 20 years. Let me just share my experience. Hey, that's not healthy. The answer is, well, let me tell you what happened. And you've got an excuse for everything. But you're still not healthy. I don't want you to have an excuse. I want you to be healthy. Somebody say, how does he have this insight? Because he's experienced this all the time. Things happen. And the question is, will I react to my circumstances or respond to the Spirit? If I respond to the Spirit, my emotional life will be very different than if I react to my circumstances. Amen? I'm not talking about denying reality. I'm talking about being aware of a deeper reality, the presence of God in you, in the presence of your life and its problems. Okay? I think there, let me say this, a couple of things on this. Number one, there are not positive and negative emotions. How many of you have heard there's positive emotions and negative emotions? How many of you have heard that? 
Well, what are the negative emotions? Well, anxiety or anger, did Jesus have those emotions? Yes. So they can't be negative emotions. There are not positive and negative emotions. There are spirit and flesh expressions of emotions. Emotions are neutral. You can have emotions in the flesh that are very negative. You can have that same emotion in the spirit. It's very positive. So it's not about positive and negative emotion. It's about flesh or spirit demonstration of emotion. Number two, God commands us to have dominion over our emotions. Most people don't know this. They feel that that God is not sovereign, but their feelings are. Right? Okay, I love you. I'm your pastor. I'm trying to help. And I am not Jesus, so I'm learning too. Amen? People who think that their emotions are sovereign, you're angry. Well, here's what they did. And as soon as we tell our terrible tale, we are saying that our emotions are absolutely contingent and dependent on what happens out there. And what happens out there, it regulates what happens in here. Therefore, until it changes or they change, this is how I am. This is how I feel. You have no right to judge me. You have not been through what I am going through. You do not experience what I experience. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Let me say this. Before you think of them, think of yourself. Some of you right now, you're like, this is a great sermon for Tom. Tom really needs this sermon. Hi, my name is Tom. We're all Tom, okay? We're all Tom. And when people drop that, they say, well, that's how I feel. It's like a conversation stopper. It's like, well, if that's how you feel, you know, I mean, I guess there's nothing we can do. How many of you have raised children? You realize if this becomes a lifelong pattern into adulthood, that their feelings are sovereign and God is not sovereign over their feelings, then they are destined for ruin. God commands us to have dominion over our emotions. I'll prove it to you. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. How many are like, I don't feel like it? No one does. That's why he said it. Right? When Jesus says something, it's because we're all like, we took a vote and it's, Everybody to one. Jesus is the only one voting for it. That's because the rest of us need to agree with him. We don't. So how can I love my enemy? You're going to need to take dominion, authority over your emotions. You not only have the possibility of obeying God in your thoughts, obeying God in your deeds, you also have the possibility of obeying God in your feelings. God commands us to think his thoughts, to obey his commands, and to feel his feelings. It's possible, but it's only possible by the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you a a simple picture. I don't know if this will help or not. I'm very visual. I think of it this way. 
your life. Sometimes it's calm, sometimes it's storm. This sale is like your emotional life. It's your response to your environment. You get some days you're like, I'm pretty easy going. Other days you're like, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm angry, I'm happy, I'm excited, I'm scared. Like the sale is full, I'm feeling the pull and the power. This rudder is crucial. That's your will. You get that? What happens, what happens oftentimes in our life, we forget that this is us. Okay. What happens if you're all sail, passion, emotion, no rudder? What happens? You get in a lot of trouble, right? You're like, I love them. They're drunk. They're unemployed. They, they're, they're apostate. But I'm my heart. No, you find a rudder, right? And redirect, please. Go the other direction. Some of you, you're just tossed by circumstance. Like, oh, I feel this and oh, I feel that and oh, I feel this and oh, I feel... Where's the rudder? Right? Some people are all sail, no rudder. Okay? A little healing going on in the room today, okay? <laughs> How many of you, you're all rudder, no sail? You're like, I have charts, graphs. Plans, backup plans. How do you feel? What are we talking about? <laughs> you have no passion. You have no, pa you have control, but you're going nowhere. You're like, I, I, the boat doesn't move, does it? Does it move? Yeah, it does move, okay? Your life is to be passionate and directed. And as your emotions fill the sail, the Holy Spirit, he needs to fill you so that you can be the captain of the decision-making in your life. Amen? How many of you right now, you're like, I'm in the water. <laughs> Trying to catch the boat. <laughs> Let's just be honest. How many of you are more rudder people? Not very emotional, but you're intentional. They all raise their hand because they're obedient like that. <laughs> How many of you are more sail people? Really passionate, no rudder. Raise both hands, okay? <laughs> whoop, whoop. That's how I'm feeling, okay? <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to bring us the emotional health and character of Christ, okay? I'm going to invite the band forward at this time because we're going to sing. We're going to collect our tithes and offerings at this point. This is where we give generously to the God who gave us his only son. Now, let me say this, okay? Pay attention. This is where it gets real practical. The Bible is a word from God. You receive it, but then you need to respond to it, right? The Bible says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey or keep it. The Bible says, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, what? Do what it says, right? So my job is revelation, your job is responding, okay? So we wanna open the word of God and get revelation and then we want you to respond. We respond with giving of our tithes and offerings. In a moment, we're gonna respond by partaking of communion, remembering Jesus' passion for us. 
His broken body is shed blood, that we have a God who is passionate to pursue people, who is passionate to love people, who is passionate to forgive people, and is passionate and rejoicing when sinners repent or forgive those who sin against them. And part of the way that we grow in emotional health is by worship. And it's our way of praying collectively. So as we go to a time of worship, I wanna invite you to be passionate. If you need to kneel, kneel. If you need to sit, sit. If you need to raise your hands, raise your hands. If there's a burden that you're carrying, I want you to transfer that to the Lord. If there's a brokenness that you're nursing, I want you to bring that to the Lord for inner healing. If there is a joy in your life, I want you to stop and to thank God for his provision and and the reason for your rejoicing. And you need to know that when we worship, we're inviting the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're inviting the Holy Spirit to do a work in us and through us and to bring us the character and the emotional health of Christ, amen? So let let me have you stand and I'll pray. Father God, as we come to worship the Lord Jesus right now, we invite the Holy Spirit. We invite the Holy Spirit to to remind us of the work he has done so that we're encouraged, to show us the brokenness that we need to invite him in to heal, to bring to him the burdens that we carry so that we might be unburdened, to forgive the people that have hurt us so that we can be healed up and seek to even love our enemies. Holy Spirit, please bring us the emotional health and life of Jesus and please allow these people to do the thing they were created for and to worship Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.